good to see everybody today, especially those of you that are with us online in one of our online portals, Facebook, YouTube, hillcrestchurch.com. We are so thankful wherever you may be that you're tuning in to us this morning. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. We're in Colossians, the third and the beginning of the fourth chapter uh, this morning. We'll have this Sunday and then next Sunday, the first Sunday of the New Year. The last word in Colossians is an outstandingly great word to begin a brand new year together. It's in the form of a prayer. And so come back this time next week and we'll celebrate a new year together as we conclude this 18-part message series from Paul's letter to the Colossians, one of the most power-packed books in the Bible, yet one of the most overlooked books in the Bible. And this morning, as you're finding your way back to Colossians chapter 3, we kind of pick up in this series within a series talking about the primary relationships of our lives. This is a passage of Scripture that theologians call a household code. And Paul can't deal with every single relationship in a very brief letter, but he deals with three of the most important relationship sets that almost all of us experience in life. And that is the relationship between a husband and a wife, the relationship between parents and their children, and the relationship between slaves and masters, or in our context, between employers and employees. And those three relationship sets are going to dominate most of your life. You'll build a few friendships here and there and have some folks that you're in intimate relationships with outside of those three, but you won't have time for many. You'll spend 90% of your time and life cultivating those three relationship sets. And every time the Bible deals with these relational dynamics, we do well to set up straight and listen because... There's so much dysfunction in human relationships. In fact, uh, relational dysfunction, I think, is the cause of most heartache and heartbreak in the world today. Up to this point, of course, we have already looked at the husband-wife relationship and the parent-child dynamic. And today, we're going to go on the job for a few minutes, which I think is very fitting. I didn't necessarily plan it this way as we were plotting these series of messages out But I think this is a great Sunday to talk about the gospel at work because most of us have been off work for a while and most of us are dreading going back to work. Can I have an amen this morning? But go back to work, you must, and I must. And so it's a good time for a not-so-subtle reminder because most Americans have a love-hate relationship with their work. You love it because it sustains your life. Most people love their work only because it provides them an income. But then there's the other side of that, and the truth be told is we know our work is important. Work's important to most people. In fact, most people identify themselves based on what they do, and that's especially true with men. That's why oftentimes when you're in a mixed group of people, maybe at a Christmas party, New Year's party, some other type of social gathering, you meet somebody you don't know, What's the first question you ask them? What do you, what do you do? That's the first place you go when it comes to priming the well of understanding who they are. And that's because so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do for a living. You're going to spend the better part of your waking hours most days of the week at work. And when we're not at work, like today, you're going to spend a lot of your downtime consumed with thoughts. Thoughts. 
uh, about work, what's coming up, what you have to do, what's on the horizon. And the irony is that most people are dissatisfied with what they do in life. Survey done just a few years ago, over 60% of workers of all ages uh, indicate that they dislike what they do for a living. That's more pronounced the younger you are, but it's basically 60% plus across the age ranges. And so for most people, work is indeed, you know, not much more than the daily grind. It's something that we have to endure rather than something that most of us enjoy. And why is that? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but a lot of it, I think, has to do with the people that we work with. If you talk to most people who are dissatisfied uh, with where they work and with what they do, a lot of the reason for their dissatisfaction is that they just don't like the people that they work with. Listen, you're going to do a lot of things. You can make it through a lot of stuff if you really enjoy the people that are around you. Isn't that right? But boy, you can have the greatest job in the world, but if you work with tough people, salty people, people that are just bent on negativism, man, then nothing is right with the world most of the time. And yet, if you talk to most people who will tell you that they probably will not leave their job over the course of the next year unless they have to, the reason is because they enjoy the people they work with. It's the number one stated cause of job satisfaction across the board. I work with people I really like. So fostering those kind of relationships, uh, relationships that would be a blessing to you and a blessing to others, relationships that honor God, that's Paul's purpose in addressing all of these relationships, really, because he wants us to live the gospel at home, the gospel in raising our children. He wants us to live the gospel at work in these vocational relationships. So let's take a look and see what he says, beginning in Colossians 3 and verse 22. Everybody ready to read? Would you say amen? Bond servants, some of your translations may well say slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, as we work our way through this eternal word of the living God, may your Holy Spirit go before everything that I say. This is not about a preacher. This is about the Spirit of God wanting us to hear the word of God that we might live in the power of God. And so have your way here this morning through your word, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Now, let me just deal right out of the gate with the first thing that we come to, and that is the word bondservant here today. And let me just remind everybody that the words that we read here from the New Testament, during that period of the New Testament, we're obviously dealing with a different time, a different culture, a different place, 
2,000 years ago, slavery was a huge part of the Greco-Roman culture. Uh, it's estimated by historians uh, that some 35 to 40% of the population of the entire Roman Empire, 35 to 40% were made up of slaves. slaves was, slavery was not a racial thing back then as it has been in our American context. You could be from any type of ethnic background and find yourself as a slave or a bond servant, an indentured servant. So times were different, and we admit that right up front this morning, only to say that thankfully the slave-master relationship no longer applies to us, and that's a good place for an amen. But here's the thing. The spiritual and professional uh, and relational principles that Paul applies here between bond servants and masters are absolutely eternal. And they still apply to all of us today, only to us in our working relationships. And that's what I want us to talk about here this morning and understand today as we try to get a picture of what the gospel is supposed to look like, relationally speaking, at work. Now, as with the other two relational duos, Paul does the same thing here, and there's uh, a relational dynamic existing between two types of people. Before, it was husbands and wives, parents and children. Now, for our context, we'll call it employers and employees or workers and bosses, ever how you want to look at it this morning. And as in with each of the other two, there is a part in this relational dynamic where someone is vested with an authority from God and someone else is charged with the responsibility of yielding their rights to that authority, submitting themselves to that authority as they submit themselves to God and following their leadership up to the point where following that leadership would lead them to violate their Christian conscience or violate the Word of God or lead them into sin in some form or fashion. So let's look at these two one at a time this morning. First, a word to the Christian workers, and it's simply this. Christian workers, obey and respect your employers. The Bible says here in verse 22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. In other words, this is Paul's way of saying when you're on the job, you need to do what you're instructed to do by those in whom God has vested as your authority and do it to the best of your ability and do it faithfully. The word obey here is in the Greek present tense, which is repetitive action. It's an ongoing kind of thing, which implies consistent, repeated, ongoing action as a manner of your life. So Paul's saying obey your employer at all times and in all occasions. That's what he means when he says obey them in everything. Again, submission and obedience always has limits in human relationships. Obey them in everything up to the point where your employer would lead you to do something that would cause you to compromise your Christian integrity or something that's clearly illegal or unethical or immoral or unbiblical. But here's the thing. Just like with anything else, most people just don't care for this submission thing. Can we just admit it? That's just a word we don't like. But it's a very biblical word. Can I say it again this morning? Everybody, man, woman, older person, child, employer, employee, everybody submits to somebody. This is not confined to one class 
of humanity. We all submit. We submit to the government authority. Church members are to submit to the authority of their pastors. Workers are to submit to their authorities on the job. Team players are to submit to the authority of their coaches, on and on and on. It's a military concept. means to rank under. Our military would be chaos apart from chain of command. And God is in the chain of command because God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace and productivity. So the bottom line is, if we're honest, we just don't like people telling us what to do. That's the gospel truth. We know we need a boss. We just don't want a boss. And that's true for just about any relationship. And an inevitable result of that in the workplace is that that attitude often causes employers not to get an honest day's work for an honest day's wage from the people that work for them. My father-in-law, Judy's daddy, owned a business 40 years in the greater Nashville, Tennessee area. And he retired some years ago, probably five years earlier than optimal. He still enjoyed his business. He enjoyed the people that he met. He enjoyed the service that he provided. But he had an opportunity much earlier than he wanted to take it, but he decided to take it. And he and I were having lunch several years ago, and I asked him about that. I said, man, you're still in great health. The business is prosperous. There's not a chance that you're not going to be able to sell it five, six years from now. What led you to do it? And he didn't hesitate for a moment. You know what he said? I got tired of the labor wrangling. I got tired of trying to find people who wanted to work. Oh, I could find people to hire, but it's becoming more and more difficult to find anybody that really wants to work. So when he had an offer, he jumped at it, and that was the primary impulse that led him to do it. Now, we all understand why that's the case for somebody that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody's all about themselves. But for a believer, ought never be so in the life of a believer. We ought to be the best employees on the planet. Amen. You say, well, you don't know my boss. Mean-spirited, unreasonable, unfair. Can I just say this morning, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, an employer is an employer, and if you're working for them and you're taking home a wage that they're provided, they deserve your very best, regardless of their worthiness, regardless of their character. 1 Peter 2 and verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Did y'all see that? Say amen. It doesn't matter. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And let me just say this morning, y'all are all employees. None of y'all are slaves. You don't have to stay there. It's a voluntary association. So if you've got a tyrant that's, that is lording over you, then you need to look for something else to do if it's intolerable. But as long as you're in the employ of someone, you need to faithfully obey them, recognize the authority that God has vested in that person, and then follow their leadership. Notice how the command to obey is modified here in Colossians 3, verse 22. 
It says, bond servants obey not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, you're not Eddie Haskell on the job, amen? For those of you under the age of like 90, that's leave it to Beaver and I'll leave it to you to look it up. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And you know what that means is? You just have a healthy respect for those in authority over you, and even though you may not particularly like them, even though they may not be worthy of your honor and respect, you're going to give it to them. Because that's what our Lord demands of us for the authority structures that he has placed in our lives. Listen, there are a lot of authorities that don't deserve your respect. There are a lot of parents that don't deserve to be honored as the, as the fifth commandment tells us to do. Honor thy father and your mother. Well, they don't deserve mine. It doesn't matter. Some don't. But God says, I want you to recognize the office. Recognize the position. Whether it's your husband or whether it's your pastor or whether it's your parent or whether it's your employer or whether it's the president or whether it's the judge coming into the room. Listen, if I'm in a courtroom and a robe judge comes out, I'm going to stand up. Now, there may be rumors all over town that he's taking bribes. But I'm still going to stand up. Because I honor the position. Even though the, purpose, the person may not be worthy of my honor or my respect. And when I do that, I show love and devotion and respect to Jesus Christ. Because he's told me this is the way he's plotted a civil society to function. Honor them, and by so doing, you obey Jesus Christ. That's bound up in this word sincerity, the phrase sincerity of heart. You know what it means to work with a sincere heart? The word sincere in the Greek New Testament is anupokrites. It's a hypocrite with an A that precedes it, which negates it, unhypocritically is what the word sincere means. In other words, you do it because you know it's the right thing to do. Not to be a people pleaser, to curry favor, or to try to box out another employee, or to work your way up the totem pole, whatever the case might be. No, you do it because you're a Christ follower. You give that employee your very best because it's the right thing to do. If I'm gonna call myself a Christian, Man, to not give my employer my very best would make me an unworthy employee at worst or at best and a spiritual hypocrite at worst. I'm going to do the work that I'm responsible to do and I'm going to do it without complaining, without boasting, without bragging, without being disruptive, without being critical of others in the process. Notice verse 23. Whatever you do, work how? Would you say it out loud, please? Work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. And then watch what he says in verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. If I could change anything about the way people work, I would say when you go to work, whether it be tomorrow or after the new year, whatever the case may be, just kind of look down in an imaginary chair and picture the Lord Jesus sitting right there with you or out there on the dock with you or in the airplane with you, or whatever it is you do for a living. Imagine that Jesus is with you. You know why? Because it's not an imagination. He's right there with you. It's like me as a preacher. You know, a lot of times you're concerned about who comes in, and I've had that happen. I remember I was preaching one time, and a United States senator walked in the church unannounced. 
And I started having heart palpitations. And somebody, I was sharing that with somebody afterwards. Man, I didn't know. I would have worn something different. And the guy looked at me. And he said, the king of kings is in this worship center every Sunday morning. And I thought, one of these days I'm going to be as spiritual as you when I grow up. (laughs) But you know, he's right. He's right. And so I'm just telling you, you want to become a better worker, remember, you're working for the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And your boss will begin to think you're the greatest thing that God ever made in life. You'll work so enthusiastically and encouragingly, he'll want to reproduce you 100 times over in the workplace. And the reason you want to do that is because here's the thing. Let me remind everybody. Y'all still with me? Say amen. You're a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. I've said it 100 times. People know that you profess Christ, or at least they should. They know that you go to church, and most of the time they, go, they know where you're going to church. How you live, how you talk, how you work matters because how you do all of that reflects not only on you and your family, it reflects on Jesus Christ. So many people work, and the only thing you've got in mind is you, my paycheck, my 401K, my health benefits, my perks. All those things are important, and all of them have a place, and you ought to be wise in how you negotiate and what you get and how you use what you get. But the Bible says that I'm supposed to give my whole heart to my work as though I'm working for the Lord and not for men. And when you do that, that kind of effort, I'm just saying, it will stand out and you'll be giving a great testimony to the unbelievers that you work for and work with at your place of business. That's why it's so important to see your work not just as a job, but as your mission. Can I just say it? Your work is your mission field. Amen. I talk to a lot of people, and that's what they say. Man, I got to get out of this job. And I said, well, why? Do you not like the work? Oh, the work is okay, but it's just the people. I work with all these salty people, and they cuss, and they drink, and they want to do all these crazy things, and I got to get out of there. Well, where do you want to go? I think I'd like to work at the church. Oh, Lord. (laughs) If that's why, if you go into Christian ministry for that reason, you ain't going to last three months. Boy, you better be called to that. No, here's the thing. That's not a reason to leave. That's a reason to stay. You may be the only Christian light in that dark place, and if you leave, then what? The gospel have a chance at work? Not without a Christian witness. You ever thought that may be why you're there? You may be there for that reason. And so recognize that. This is not just where I work. This is my mission field. And the way that you approach that mission field will either draw people to faith or it will divide people from faith. And the way you show up every day goes a long way to drawing people to Christ or driving them away from it. Look with me at Titus 2 beginning in verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Says the same thing Paul does. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, 
That's a sermon in and of itself. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let me just say, if you're looking for a Bible verse to hang in your workstation, how about that one right there? That's a good one. Be submissive in everything, well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So many of us live so much of our lives trying to please the wrong people when we ought to be trying to please the Lord. You might work for an employer that never appreciates what you do. That may never change this side of heaven. He may take the credit. She may take the credit, but never forget, ultimately, you're not working for them. Your labor is unto Jesus Christ, not unto others, ultimately. It's him we're serving, and he always blesses and rewards those who remain faithful to him. Don't you believe that this morning? Amen. So this is a word to Christian workers. Obey and respect your employers. Now, in the few minutes we have remaining, let's turn the coin over and look at a word to Christian employers. That's probably less of uh, an impact for most of the people here. Most of us would be workers. Somebody might look at me and say, hey, you're the boss down there at Hillcrest. I got more bosses than anybody in town, like 3,000 of them. So don't talk to me about that. But there are many of you that have responsibilities as employers, as business owners, as professional operators, as whatever the case might be. And there's a word here for you too. Serve and honor your employees. Now, most of us in the room have either worked for or do work for someone uh, today. And probably if I took a poll here this morning, there'd be more people as not that would say that the term godly boss is an oxymoron, right? Is there any such thing as a godly boss? Well, I think so, and if not, there certainly can be. And Without a doubt, there are lots of horror stories about bosses gone bad and bosses gone wild in the workplace. And Charles Dickens knew that back in the middle of the 1800s when he gave us Ebenezer Scrooge, who's the most notorious boss in the history of the United States. And speaking of Christmas movies, what is it with all these corrupt bosses in all the Christmas movies? Luther Crank, for crying out loud. Or Mr. Potter, that cantankerous, old, warped, frustrated man, the board member, doesn't care about anybody but himself, and it's a wonderful life. Christmas Vacation, you got Clark Griswold's boss, who as he's waiting for that big Christmas bonus to pay for the swimming pool, he gets a Jelly of the Month Club subscription as his Christmas bonus. I mean, even in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the elf boss fires the little elf who wants to be a dentist with his life. How does an elf boss fire an elf? But he does. The only nice boss in a Christmas movie is Mr. Takagi in Die Hard, and he gets shot. There is no justice in the world. (laughs) And then there's the argument about whether Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. It divides families, including mine. I mean, you guys got the picture. 
But a believing employer is supposed to be different. Colossians 4.1, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, again, this is part of a household code because those indentured servants in the first century would have been part of the household. They would have lived under the, basically under the same roof as the family. And so he's talking to those kinds. He's talking to Christian leaders here. In other words, and what he says here is that God is watching. For those of us in authority, God is watching. And our accountability is ultimately to him. Listen, it's a privilege to be in any position of leadership. But that doesn't mean we're at the top. In many respects, an authority under God volunteers and puts himself at the bottom so that others can be lifted up as better than himself or herself. That's the way a Christian employer is supposed to operate. Paul will say in the companion passage in Ephesians 6, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Even in the workplace, it's true. You reap what you sow. So employers, you are responsible for your employees. You're not only responsible to them, you're not only responsible to the shareholders and stockholders, you are responsible to Almighty God, and it doesn't matter whether you believe or not. Everyone in authority is ultimately put there by God himself. And he's given those of us in leadership a stewardship, a charge. And for Christian employers, it's not altogether unlike the stewardship that parents have over their children. I'm going to give an account one day as to how I raise my children. When we're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that believers must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account for what's done in the body, man, he's talking to us in terms of how we've used every responsibility that the Lord has given to us, not only the money in our life, not only the things, but the responsibilities how I functioned as a husband, how I functioned as a father, how I function as an employer. Have I looked like Jesus Christ? Have I seeded my best for the best of those under my responsibility? That's what God's going to reveal. And the general principle here is treat those in your charge fairly. Treat them generously. Give them their due. And listen, I get it. Market conditions come into play. You can't always be super generous, but you ought to be as generous as you possibly can to those who have served you well. We've had to deal with situations like that in our own church through the years when it comes to how we deal with employees. Not every year looks just alike. And we get that. Everybody understands that. But the Bible would say, treat them well. Be as generous as you can with your faithful and hardworking employees primarily because you serve a generous, giving God. The Bible says God loves what kind of giver? What kind? A cheerful giver. And really, I think that you can apply that to more than just what you give in the offering plate every Sunday. I have a friend who several years ago worked for a management consulting firm, fairly small firm, didn't have a ton of employees, uh, and that firm, for the first time several years ago, exceeded $1 million in billings. Never happened before. 
And she called the principal of the firm to inform him for the first time ever in a calendar year, it was in the month of December, we have crossed the million dollar in billing. In, in billing. And he said, man, we've got to celebrate. Well, whatever you want to do. He was out of town at the time. Whatever you want to do, man, we'll do it. I'll pull it off. I'll get it together. This person ran the finances, was kind of the controller of the small firm. And he said, well, plan a get-together for everybody when I get back. But before you do, write yourself a check for the equivalent of one year's wages as a bonus. How many of you want to work for that guy? Say amen. One year's what? An entire year. Reminds me of Scrooge at the end of the Christmas carol. When Cratchit is late and he thinks he's going to get fired and Scrooge throws him a money bag and he says, I'm going to start by doubling your salary. Hyper generosity. You won't always be able to do that. I will give you the name of the firm for a finder's fee, small fee, see me after church. But see, really what we're getting at here is what those in leadership circles call servant leadership, servant leadership. It's become in vogue over the last 20, 25, 30 years. It's as old as the Bible. There's nothing new about servant leadership. People making billions of dollars off of books about servant leadership. All you got to do is read the Bible. And read about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who turned his back on the wealth of heaven to stoop and to condescend to our level so that we might be lifted up. Christ became obedient even unto the death of the cross. That's how much he loved us. And he was our authority and still is. But the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there's ever a reason that employees feel hostility toward their employers, it's because they don't feel like their employers really care a bit about them. It's just about the bottom line. That's especially true, by the way, of those in the millennial generation. If there's anything about millennials, they want their, they want their workers and they want their bosses to care about them as people. I mean, it's a different generation. Millennials are those in their mid-20s to their late 30s about now. Largest generation in American history. Eighty-some million millennials in the United States of America. You know, for the, those in the builder generation came post-World War II and then those in the baby boom generation. I mean, the workplace was all about the task. It was just all about the work. It was about getting the job done. And if you happen to have a job that you like, then that was gravy on the table. If it brought happiness, that was a fringe benefit. But that wasn't primary in the minds of builders and boomers. Fulfillment wasn't even on the agenda. Whatever it took to put food on the table, that's what we do. And we do it and we work hard because working hard is the right thing to do. But this generation is different. It's not about the task. It's about the relationship. And if you want them to give you your best, you better know their name and you better know their wife's name and they better know their husband's name and the names of their kids and the names of their four dogs. Because that's what draws the best out of them. Pay them attention and you'll get their very best. And here's the thing. That's, in my opinion, just good business sense. That's what you ought to do in every generation. 
You ought to love the people that you work for, particularly if you're a Christian boss, if you're a Christian employer. You ought to love them like the Lord loves them. Invest in them because they're your greatest asset. You can't make it without them, and you need to treat them as the valuable commodities that they are, not just as the means to an end. So if you're an organizational leader, it's in your best interest to be a great boss, best interest spiritually, because here's the thing. Remember, you're a steward, and there will come a judgment, even for those who follow Jesus Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give an account. You're accountable to the leaders of your organization, to your stockholders, but more to the point, you're accountable to God. And the Bible says there is no partiality with God. Can I tell you something I know? When we all get to heaven, the ground is going to be absolutely level at the foot of that cross. Amen. It is today. But Paul goes out of his way to say on multiple occasions, there is no partiality with God. There aren't going to be any employers, employees in heaven. We're just going to be people. Now, God may partition out responsibilities in the kingdom. But the dynamic is going to be totally different. And just as God's going to judge and reward employees for how they subjugated themselves to follow the leadership of their employers, he's going to judge and reward authorities for their trustworthiness as a steward of the living God. This, brothers and sisters, is the gospel at work. Let's look at it again. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word, and let all who agree with it shout amen this morning. Amen.